You're listening to the Bottom Line Podcast, where those living with or beyond bowel cancer, as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care, share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. In 2020, Gemma Farquhar was diagnosed with stage 3 bowel cancer. She was just 35. She was completely unaware that bowel cancer could affect anyone at any age. A year of harrowing treatment and surgery during COVID followed as Gemma juggled her diagnosis, treatment and a young family. She shares her story in the hope that more people don't dismiss bowel cancer symptoms and that they act immediately. Gemma, thank you for joining us today on the Bottom Line podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a fairly horrendous 18 months for you. You were diagnosed with bowel cancer at 34, and we'll go into the emotional impact of this shortly, but there is still a very common misconception that bowel cancer is an old man's disease, and you and I both know that this is not the case. Can you tell us first off, what symptoms you experienced initially, the duration you experienced them, and what prompted you to have them investigated? Yeah, so I suppose in hindsight's a wonderful thing. What led me to be diagnosed was vomiting. So uh, after I would eat uh, huge instances of, of vomiting, and I think you've heard me say before, like just expelling it from my body. And what I know now is that was there because there was a tumour in um, my bowel, so not letting anything pass through. Again, in hindsight now, though, I think potentially over a few years, you know, I had symptoms like, you know, that I thought was like gluten intolerance or lactose intolerance or, you know, I was tired, I've got two kids, I was working full time. Uh, So there's all of those elements now where I think, had I known that bowel cancer was not an old person's disease and had I known it was even a possibility, I would have done more. And, And I think that's what annoys me more is that, I didn't know that it actually does happen to young people and it is the leading cancer killer um, between people to 25 to 34. Exactly. So what ultimately then made you go and have it investigated? Yeah, so uh, the vomiting, absolutely. That was the the number one where I said it's just not right, it's not normal. The, The doctor did dismiss it though at this point in time and this was in uh, January last year. And then in March, again, I vomited again after a, a meal. And then I, he, he, the doctor put it down to a, just a gastro bug, um, but it just felt completely wrong, not like any vomit I'd ever done before. And I asked to go and see a gastroenterologist and an allergy specialist in case it was um, an allergy because I had no idea what to think. Um, anyway, the gastroenterologist then put me on a few different uh, remedies at that point and I did some blood tests they're all fine and then what really led me to be diagnosed was the tumor completely blocked my my bowel and I had a complete bowel obstruction and so then had um, you know emergency surgery where they said you've got bowel cancer. So Ultimately, you went to see a gastroenterologist and even at that point, they dismissed bowel cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was never even a possibility at at that point. Uh, She did ask me my age. She did ask me if I had family history. You know, I am young and I don't have family history of bowel cancer, but we hadn't gone down to that track. She did actually send me for an ultrasound though at one point and there was nothing there that, that came up. 
so she, you know, she was absolutely, you know, doing the right thing for investigating. But I suppose, again, had I known that it was a possibility, I would have questioned far more and pushed more. Did you have a colonoscopy or you went straight to emergency for the bowel obstruction? Straight to emergency. And I suppose this is why you and I do what we do, Gemma, (laughs) is because I was in exactly the same situation, young child, mum, busy, all of those things, experienced very similar symptoms. We do it because there is such a lack of awareness, isn't there, around young people? Yeah, absolutely. And a story um, a few months ago, I had a a bowel obstruction, um, not because of cancer, but because of the scar tissue um, from my surgeries. And I went into the hospital, had a number of tests, uh, and then a bowel obstruction passed, um, but the nurse said, why are you here? And I gave her my history and her words were, you are too young for bowel cancer. So that to me is just where we need to really raise awareness to our medical profession as well. So obviously you didn't have a colonoscopy. When you were diagnosed, you, you were in ED, I presume, when they diagnosed you with bowel cancer? Uh, no. I was, well, I had a CT scan and then they said, you've got colon cancer. And that point I thought, what's a colon? I only know it's a bowel. Um, (laughs) Correct. So anyway, then I I had the surgery and then was in a ward where they had confirmed it. So what went through your mind when the health professional came in and said to you, you have colon, bowel cancer? Um, What went through your mind at that point? Well, our whole worlds really have turned around and upside down and you just think you're going to die. You, you, really, you really have no idea how to cope, how to compartmentalise. Uh, it's just you think of your children and it's just something that you will never forget that, that one moment. Gemma, I've got goosebumps because I, you know, mine was 10 years ago um, and every time I do these interviews and I hear these stories, I just think, yes, you know, it's exactly that. You see your life flash before your eyes and when you've got young children, it's even more pronounced. You found out you had colon cancer or bowel cancer. What were the next steps from there? So I had the emergency surgery, which confirmed I had stage 3 um, bowel cancer. From that point, I was referred to an oncologist and started chemo. I had one round of chemo and then landed myself back in ED for uh, another bowel obstruction. Uh, but this time, the reason it was caused was because my ovary um, was blocking part of my bowel. So my ovary had a tumour on it. Um, which grew to 13 centimetres within a really short period of time. Wow. So because of that, I changed my chemotherapy and went on to a more intensive chemo. And I do have an aggressive mutation of of bowel cancer, so they were very quick to, to get on top of that, if you like. I had six rounds of chemo and... Then I had what they call a peritonectomy or cytoreductive surgery, I think they call. Um, so essentially... Which is? Which is, well, look, if you ask my doctor, I'm sure she would, she would say it far more delicately, but, but, it, but essentially they just cut you open right down the middle um, they, and they open you up and take everything out that they can see and then they flush um, HIPEC, which is essentially hot chemotherapy, over you. 
so yeah, on Friday is my anniversary, if you like, from from that. But it was hugely intensive, and the lead up was um, really significant. And you know, it, it does certainly take its toll. So within that, I um I lost because people always ask, well, what did you lose? What did they take? Um, so they took uh, my ovaries. They took my both ovaries, both ovaries, yeah. And then I, I had a full radical hysterectomy, so you, I don't even know uterus and tubes and all of that. Um, more of my bowel, so I probably lost about twenty centimeters of my bowel altogether. Um, I then uh, my appendix, my peritoneum, and my omentum. And again, I didn't even know what a peritoneum and a mentor was before this. Um, so it certainly learned, learned, made me learn more about my body, that's for sure. That is very radical. And, it, you know, you obviously went through a lot. And also, you know, it was during COVID. So you couldn't have your family there. What sort of process was it for you and how did you cope with that? Yeah, I think so... The milestones of my kids were like my trigger points, absolutely. And I had a really good psychologist and I would lean on people. So, um, as you know, Bowel Cancer Australia put me in in contact with the peer-to-peer group and I've got two lovely ladies who had similar surgeries to me and I'm still in contact with them today. That really helped. So really understanding, you know, when you come out of this surgery, what do you expect? You've got drains and tubes. You've got um, you can't move. You're in ICU. Uh, it's it, it's horrific. Uh, you know I couldn't walk for five days and I was dizzy and um, you know I lost most of my hair from the chemo. So there, there was just nothing nothing nice about it. So um, emotionally, I've just surrounded myself with really good people. And part of it um, part of what helps me, I think, is telling my story and in hope that it will just create more awareness out there. And you've written a book. When did you write that book? Oh, well, it's funny. I don't even like to call it that because it was really my journal and my outlet. So that was, again, something that was personal for me at that time. And so I wanted to reflect on my feelings and how I was coping with all the side effects that chemo and surgeries have. Uh, In January... Uh, this year, I had thought, well, someone might find it useful, and essentially has just have just put it out there and, you know, self-published it. And, you know, I have had some really nice feedback on it, uh, which is good. But it, you know, it's very raw. I can't really read it. It's, um, you know, very emotional, and it's certainly. But it's it's also there to hopefully provide some hope when you're going through it to know that it does end. Yes, for anyone, be it bowel cancer or any any cancer journey, I think hope and and keeping positive is so important. You talk about the peer to peer program at Bowel Cancer Australia, which you know I'm slightly biased, but I think it's fabulous. Can you talk a bit more about that and how it helped you and why it's important? Yeah, sure. So when I was first diagnosed, my first reaction was shit, I don't know anything about this. What do I do? And I Googled bowel cancer and bowel cancer Australia popped up and then the peer-to-peer support. And I phoned uh, Fiona at the time. The wonderful Fiona. Yes, yes. So we <laughs> she helped so many people. <laughs> yes, and she really did. And I had no idea what even like a stage three meant and 
anyway, so she connected me with um, two ladies, like I indicated before, and with really similar situations. And then obviously my cancer progressed to stage four. Um, but yeah, these, these two I, I still maintain contact with. So it's a really, really, really good program. And it was, it enabled me to be around like-minded people who were going through or had been through the exact same thing. Talk us through, you mentioned stage four. So after you uh, went through that stage of that radical operation, what happened from there and at what point were you diagnosed stage four? Well, look, I was diagnosed stage four where they had found it in my ovary, really. So it it really quickly progressed from, from three to four. And... So what happened? So I suppose after my surgery, they then, you know, take all, all everything and, and test it and do the pathology and, and then that comes back and confirms that it is cancer or that it was cancer. Um, they confirmed that it was a, a success. Um, but to me, you know, again, you learn along the way, what does success look like? Does success look like I'm still alive, that I've I've made it through surgery? Does it look like that they've seen a lot of cancer, they've got it, that they haven't seen hardly any cancer? Like, what does it mean? Does the, the chemo work? Did the chemo not work? How do I know? So I, I constantly have always had a lot of questions. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned the book in there, I do have a list of questions to ask doctors because one thing I found, and, you know, I, I'm very blessed to have a fantastic medical team they do they are experts in what they do so you know an oncologist is the cancer and the surgeon you know cuts people open and you, you know there is that sort of that that support that you know is, is along the top almost to to have um you know those questions and answers and to really know what to probe and know who to probe was you know is some of my you know main feedback so you were diagnosed stage four. Did you have genetic testing and where are you at at this point? So, yes, I, I did have genetic testing and it's not genetic, it's sporadic, which means, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones um, and, and won't be passed out to my children, which is really good, but they'll need to obviously get screened earlier. Where I'm at now is um, I indicated I do have an aggressive mutation. So, you know, one thing for people to listen is not all bowel cancers are equal and it's really important to get, you know, what you call the biomarker testing to understand how it can be treated. So mine is what they call a, a BRAF or BRAF, V600E, and uh, it's very uh, aggressive. So where am I, I am at now is that I was given the all clear a year ago after the surgery. So the surgery was a success. I then had, um, I've had a couple of clear scans. My latest scan shows a, a couple of nodules in my lungs, um, one on the left and one on the right. They're very small. We don't know what they are. Uh, I am hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst as you do. And, you know, in the event that it is cancer, then, you know, thankfully they are in a position that is operable. And, um, but hopefully they're not. <laughs> so, so where I'm at now is a constant waiting game. I'm living three months by three months and have constant scan anxiety, which is uh, the worst feeling ever when you wait outside your oncologist's office and waiting to hear if you've got cancer in your body or not. Scan anxiety is such a very real thing. You, How many rounds of chemo did you end up having and have they spoken about further treatments or are they just waiting at this point? 
Yeah, so at the moment we're waiting. I had 12 chemo sessions. I had six pre uh, my big surgery and then six post the, the surgery, um, which is essentially what they call mop up to try and mop up any cells. If I do have to have more, I believe the next line of treatment for me, given the mutation, is um, a drug that is not yet on the PBS. Uh, but, you know, hopefully it, it will be soon to help many people out there Hopefully it doesn't have to come to that. No. And you talk about your team and someone else mentioned this, that your medical team is like coaches. They're there to help and lead and guide you and they're obviously fully across that with you. And I think the other important point was to be very proactive about your own health as well and know what questions to ask your specialists. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and I mean, some it's very different for everybody. So some people like a lot of information, others like none. I am a person that likes information, so I needed that to be able to feel a little bit in control of a situation that I absolutely can't control. Uh, so I would absolutely make a point to even to the point of sending my oncologist a list of questions that I wanted to discuss in my meeting for the next day, just so he would have a think about it. And, you know, to the point I would get out all my pathology and compare the notes or I would um, keep a spreadsheet of my all my blood. Now that's going way too much and I don't think people should do that. But that was something that uh, helped me at that particular time. I think everyone's unique, so whatever helps them through that process. And I, I like the idea of sending a specialist some questions because often you get there and then you forget what to ask and you have a very finite appointment time and you come out going, I should have asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> you spoke about your children and your children are very young. How did you share your cancer diagnosis with them? Yeah, so they were four and six at the time. Um, so, yeah, very young. I have always maintained being honest with them. So I would tell them that mummy had a funny tummy. Um, some people call it uh, bowel cancer. So I, I did name it because I thought we would be using it around the house. Uh, things like the chemotherapy, so, we, you know, yeah, you come home with your bottle. That was, you know, mummy's medicine, which they call chemotherapy. And so, you know, mummy still has scans and this, this is what the scan machine looks like and I show them a photo. And, you know, my kids or, and, you know, I believe every kid is really resilient and they can sort of, they take in little bits at a time. So, you know, they'll come back and, and ask questions every now and then um, but for the most part they they don't understand it they don't understand the gravity um, you know sometimes I overthought telling them the word cancer because cancer does you know people relate it to death but you know it was important for me just to to be honest so the, and again that's something really sensitive and personal for everyone and, and how everyone deals with it is very different. Yes I agree uh, Angus was only three when I was diagnosed and it depends on a the age of the child how you feel it's a very unique experience but you know he can now at 12 sprout the stats better than I can <laughs> and he did actually a, a little book about telling your children about bowel cancer when he was about six I think it was and he was the central character and you can actually get that I think on our bowel cancer site which is quite good oh. as well it's a little comic 
but it is, it's one of those very sensitive areas. Did you, how did you tell your family and friends outside of obviously your children about your diagnosis? Yeah, so I, when I found out, I went into sort of reaction mode and essentially my husband called my family, you know, my mum and dad and, and their partners and advised them. And then part of my coping mechanism, I think, was to tell people and to talk to people. So I remember blasting out a text message to like God knows how many people and it was everything, it was emotional, it was, you know, everything that was going into my brain at that particular time, I sent out to, you know, extra friends and family. And that was my way of doing it, I suppose. We talked about COVID. How difficult was that? Because it's difficult at any time being given a cancer diagnosis. But can you talk us through the difficulty during COVID? Because it adds a different layer altogether. Yeah, so where do you start? Um, you can't have anyone in chemo with you. You're in hospital, you wake up in you know, ICU or you're just in a ward and the restrictions at the particular time for me was my husband could visit for one hour um, in a day. So, you know, he would come in the morning for when, you know, the surgeons did their rounds and then would leave. So then I was reliant on, you know, technology and you know my my kids and everything so so that it was really hard it's it's very isolating for people so I think you know you're then surrounded in the ward with people who some are dying some are not some are in all different stages and you know mentally I just wanted to get out of hospital to be honest so um yeah it was pretty pretty bad and I I suppose it's extra raw now because as I said you know tomorrow is my one one year anniversary from from being in in that situation. Oh, it's just I I think thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> Look what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I've done. But I think it is important for people to understand that the journey of any cancer diagnosis is a roller coaster and it is filled with angst and sadness. And this is this is real. This is the reality of it. And if if we can prevent people going through what you have gone through, and they take that one thing from it today, because it really is an incredibly harrowing time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like there's nothing um, there's nothing pretty about cancer. Is um, my new latest word. So you know, especially again reflecting, you know, back in the last eighteen months, it's um, yeah, certainly. Not without its challenges, that's for sure. No, that's right. And and this is the real face of what cancer is and, and how it can disrupt and impact families and individuals. You're an incredibly inspiring person because, you know, to sit here and have this conversation, and I apologise, I didn't realise that tomorrow was such a important day for you. We might have chosen a different day. But... You joining us to share your story is so important. And Gemma, you are a real inspiration. Finally, when I chat to people in these podcasts, I like them to give us three takeaways, three of the most important things that they want people to take from this podcast. What is it for you that you would like people to take from this podcast today? Get checked. It's absolutely number one, um, regardless of what it is. Like, you know, could be anything, but just push and push and push. That's number one. Number two is 
surround yourself with really, really good people that support you regardless of, you know, what you're doing in life. And the third is just to, and you know, God, it sounds so bad because if someone said this to me when I was going through cancer, I I would cringe, but enjoy the moment. And, you know, I'm a long-term planner and, you know, I'm not now because I live three months by three months, but just, you know, enjoy and savour and do the things that you like, whether that be, you know, for me it's having a nice wine and some nice food right now in lockdown. So, um, you know, and play with my kids. So, yeah, that's probably the third one. But, um, yeah, just thank you so much. And, again, it's just such an important message and hopefully no one needs to go through it. Thank you. Gemma, you are a true inspiration and for everything that you are doing to raise awareness, particularly around never too young to be diagnosed with bowel cancer, it's such an important area and I'd urge all our listeners to take heed and if they want any more information to go to the bowel cancer site. But thank you so much for sharing your experience. Bravo for your anniversary tomorrow. I hope you do have a red wine and we will chat to you soon. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.